Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I serve as Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous Payments. Zealous, Z E L I S, is a healthcare and financial technology company located in Bedminster, New Jersey. I also serve as the Communication Committee Chair for Weedy. That's W-E-D-I, Weedy, and Weedy is the producer of this podcast. For nearly 30 years, Weedy has been an instrumental force in igniting public-private partnerships to empower meaningful changes for the American healthcare system. How does Weedy do it? A lot of the work comes from Weedy's work groups and sub-work groups. Every day, Weedy members volunteer their time and industry expertise to weedy work groups to provide thoughtful leadership and common sense approaches that enhance the exchange of clinical and administrative healthcare information. They collect input, exchange ideas, and make recommendations that inspire impactful and far-reaching change in our industry. On this episode, we're going to be talking to the co-chairs of Weedy's telehealth work group. And those co-chairs are Nancy Spector, Coding and HIT Advocacy Director at the American Medical Association, and Allison Armstrong, Health Policy Director at Anthem. And what a timely discussion this will be. Telehealth, of course, saw a tremendous bump in utilization at the beginning of this pandemic. By some estimates, 70% of our healthcare was being conducted virtually during the spring. Pretty early on, CMS and and many states waived certain telehealth requirements that made it easier to use, and many commercial carriers waived member cost sharing, not just on COVID-19-related telehealth, but on all telehealth. But now things have settled. People are returning to their dentists and doctors and to the hospitals for both emergencies and planned procedures. Telehealth utilization has actually dropped down to 20%, still quite significant, But some of the telehealth state and federal waivers are starting to expire, and the policies by commercial plans to waive cost sharing are going away as well, which makes it an excellent moment to talk about the future of telehealth with the co-chairs of the Weedy Work Group. Welcome, Nancy Spector and Allison Armstrong. Thank you for having me today. We're excited to be here to talk about our work group and all things telehealth. Thank you, Allison. So let's start first with Weedy. Nancy, uh, you're with the American Medical Association. Allison, you're with Anthem. What are the benefits of Weedy for the AMA and uh, and a large national carrier? For me, with Weedy, what I find valuable is the collaboration that you get with multi-stakeholders, really people who um, I get to talk to on a regular basis through the work groups and committees uh, within Weedy. And it really is about bringing all these different voices to the table and being able to sit down and work on solving issues that we're all facing. That's my personal opinion. And the AMA feels very much the same. Again, it's about the education that Weedy's doing on the topics that are important to us today, administrative simplification, privacy, security, data exchange. And it's the value of having those different voices involved in that education that really makes the work that Weedy does powerful. I um, agree with what Nancy said. I think Weedy really brings a forum for stakeholders to work together on issues that may be impacting their organization differently. And when you bring those stakeholders together, you can identify opportunities for collaboration and improvements that are really gonna bring um, value to the healthcare system at large. 
Good. Very good. And I think a number of things come out with, you know, one of the things you both mentioned was collaboration. What I think is interesting is one of you is coming from a, a national carrier, insurance carrier, and the other one's coming from a, a provider association. And um, I, I think that kind of shows just a taste of the kind of cross-sectional thing that you use, cross-sectional collaboration that you see at Weedy. So uh, I think it's great to have the both of you uh, giving that angle um, on telehealth today. So, so I touched a little bit on what was really, I think, an amazingly deft and flexible about face, really, by the healthcare industry to telehealth to deliver healthcare during this pandemic. So, uh, Allison, how would you describe what happened with telehealth and, and what is happening now uh, with a little bit of hindsight that we now have in, in what must be the ninth month of this pandemic? Sure. Well, you know, the, the sweeping changes that took place so rapidly were really able to occur because the majority of those barriers and access needs had been thoroughly contemplated prior to the pandemic. The action hadn't been taken, but what was needed to, to be done was known. Um, the policies and coverage needed to change, but the availability of technology was there. The ability to have these virtual visits existed prior to the pandemic. So initially we saw those, uh, I'll talk about some of those laws and regulation changes that led to this huge shift away from in-person care, as you mentioned at the beginning of the call, um, you know, because most practices were shut down or consumers did not feel comfortable going into a medical office. And then, as you mentioned, we saw those telehealth rates decline from the peaks that we saw in the beginning of the pandemic, but we still see a, a continued increased utilization from where we were prior to the pandemic. And I think that utilization is, is leveled off somewhat. We're seeing over the last couple months that 20% um, number, you know, stay in that range. And as I think as we look to the future, we're going to see telehealth integrated into our care delivery system in ways that it's it's not being done even yet, um, or maybe being done on a limited scale. So I think the utilization um, has the potential to change down the road as well. But a lot of that will be um, in part because of how telehealth becomes integrated into care delivery models. So, um, so what, what, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to talk a little bit about the, the regulatory changes that happened so quickly. Um, and I think uh, if that is good turning point for our next question. Yes, please. Actually, that was our next question. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what happened at the legislative level to, to free this, free telehealth sure. to do what it needs to do. Well, in, in my day-to-day -day job, I watch federal and state legislation um, every day. And you see, especially at the federal level in Congress, things happen to move very slowly. Um, so it was astounding to see how quickly we saw three legislative packages at the federal level um, be passed and signed into law. And what really stood out to me was the evolution in telehealth changes from that first legislative, legislative package in response to COVID to the third. This happened in only a matter of a few weeks where we saw the first attempt at addressing um, the pandemic and that federal bill, it waived the originating site restrictions for qualified providers in Medicare, allowing providers in Medicare fee-for-service to see patients virtually if they had an established relationship with that patient over the last three years. Um, but that that change still left a very limited um, 
number of providers who would be able to see members. And so the second legislative package, you know, maybe a week and a half, two weeks later, um, amended that qualified provider definition to remove that previous build in three years requirement to, to open it up a little further and give some additional people access, such as those who had aged into Medicare or had a new provider without a billing history with them. And then in the recognition that that just wasn't enough, there were still too many barriers to access for that population. The third legislative package just went ahead and struck all of that language around the originating site restrictions. And that allowed pretty much any Medicare fee-for-service beneficiary to go to a Medicare fee-for-service provider and receive telehealth services from their home uh, in a variety of uh, modalities and with um, far fewer restrictions than had been in place before. So that was the, the big sweeping change at the federal level with respect to the millions and millions of Medicare beneficiaries. And then CMS went on to make some additional flexibilities to allow the use of audio only, to um, expand the types of clinicians that could furnish services, and then allowing um, new services to be added on a sub-regulatory basis to really continue to expand the services available under telehealth. And then they continued to make it more affordable for consumers by allowing cost-sharing waivers um, and other guidance as well at the federal level that helped with both MA and uh, Medicare Part B beneficiaries and people in those plans. So that was all the so what I like about work. <laughs> I, what I, I'm sorry. What I like about what you you phrased and how you answered the previous question too about how this actually came about and how this it seemed like magic to me. But what you're saying is that the the genie was always there. It was just in this bottle, and and the legislative waivers and exemptions it kind of freed that genie, and 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 suddenly that's what that's what we had telehealth, which was always building uh, behind the scenes. Um, and I think you were going to touch on um, the state. Uh, level as well, the state level uh, legislation, um, which again, very quickly, I thought, uh, acted like the federal government with very quickly uh, exemptions and waivers following, you know, CMS's leadership there uh, were, were, were put forward. So I'm sorry, go ahead talk about that for us. Yeah, you are exactly right. I mean, the, the technologies were there, the laws and regulations were, were restricting those, that, those barriers and access to telehealth coverage. So CMS, the states were able to act really quickly in part because CMS issued guidance to the states on the use of their waiver process and said, here are, some, here are the waivers you could be applying for around telehealth. And so, you know, they directed state agencies, look, if you want to allow the use of a non-HIPAA secured platform for telehealth right now, you can go ahead and submit a waiver for that, or audio only, or if you need your interstate licensure restrictions waived, um, and, you know, and, and whatever they needed to do to, to mobilize and, and align kind of with the type of coverage that the Medicare beneficiaries had, states were given that guidance. So they kind of had a, a framework for what to ask for, and they were able to, you know, put those requests in and get those waivers granted very quickly. Um, but I will say, you know, there really continues to be a, a patchwork of laws that regulate telehealth, whether it is um, at the state level or the federal level or dependent upon whether you have a commercial coverage and Medicaid coverage or Medicare coverage. So um, that continues to be a challenge. I, I you know, now and into the future as we look to, you know, what are what are going to be the guardrails in place? How is telehealth going to look in the future? And are we going to have a more level playing field for consumers? 
And, and so what is your what's your expectation with how that will be resolved? Do you think the leadership's going to come from the federal level or do you think it should come from the federal level? Um, and do you think it's going to land to the advent to the benefit of telehealth? Or do you think all this stuff is going to fall back to uh, the exemptions and the waivers being um, um, rolled back and, 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 and there'll be legislative putting the genie back in the bottle, if you will? I think it's really hard to put that genie back in the bottle. And I, I think that that's why when they're considering telehealth in the future, they're going to look at those specific, you know, waivers, exemptions or allowances that were made and decide, you know, what makes sense to retain and what makes sense to roll back. Um, you know, I, I hope at the state and federal level, we would see within Medicare and Medicaid a lot of alignment with how that coverage, those coverage policies end up. Um, you know, we've at the federal level, it's been a priority to change those um, originating site restrictions for Medicare Part B. And one of the reasons has been because state Medicaid agencies often follow those Medicare rules. So we had a lot of states that had very limiting rules around telehealth simply because they follow Medicare's guidance. So I would like to see Medicare and Medicaid continue with alignment as they make long-term coverage decisions. Um, and really thinking about things for, for what is going to be best for consumers. I think at this day and age, originating site restrictions that require somebody to go to a distant facility, sit with a healthcare provider, to connect to a provider at another location, those were written in the 90s and they're outdated. Um, in the future, originating sites should be able to be your home or your hotel room if you're traveling or your car if you need to go sit somewhere quiet. Um, and so I hope when we start you know, looking at long-term telehealth policy at both the state and federal level, that they are thinking about things um, in the context of where we are with technology today and what might be possible in the future, as opposed to kind of holding us back to these antiquated rules. But some of the other waivers and restrictions they've put in place um, around the use of non-HIPAA secured platforms, such as FaceTime and Skype, um, those, I think, are very concerning. I understand the need to initially mobilize and ensure people were able to access care with providers via whatever means possible. But for the long term, as we invest in telehealth technology and healthcare um, evolves, I, I really do think it is important that that is one of those waivers that is not retained and that we should focus on ensuring that there are the use of HIPAA secured platforms and ensuring patient protection and privacy during um, virtual visits. But some of the other restrictions, interstate licensure was a big Medicaid restriction that we saw in many states and, and that's really problematic um, for the delivery of care and, and harms certain people differently than others. Like if you you live near the border of another state and you go to across the state to the next state to see your doctor regularly and that's your primary physician, um, you would be restricted from seeing them via telehealth, uh, even though they were your main provider, if the state did not have an interstate licensure permissions. So things like that, I think, need to be contemplated on what makes sense today, how we deliver care and really ensuring that we are keeping the consumer's privacy and safety in mind at the forefront of these decisions. Very good. And I think you've actually touched on my next question. We've, we've had a number of speakers lately that have commented on um, the increase, the bump in cyber at attacks 
on telehealth platforms during the pandemic and, and maybe how some of the providers may have been unprepared in terms of security and privacy issues because, you know, they're doing telehealth from their home and using their personal computers. Um, so there's privacy and security. And there's also a question of fraud. Just recently, right, the DOG had its biggest healthcare fraud sting and found $4.5 billion in fraudulent telehealth claims. So now the good news is that they were caught, um, but is the privacy and security infrastructure and, and as part of that, the legislation around uh, privacy and security, is that in place for telehealth as we move forward? Our work group hasn't uh, dove too much into the cybersecurity issues, but I will say that I think we we need to look at telehealth not in a vacuum as part of our healthcare delivery system. And, and there need to be efforts in place by health plans and, and payers, providers alike to prevent fraud, waste, and abuse in the system. Um, I think you know, whether it be legislation moving forward or, or regulatory activity or best standard, best practice standards, um, whatever is done should really look at the healthcare system as a whole, identify that there are many areas in which there are privacy and security ex uh, concerns with the exchange of PHI and patient data, and really trying to either leverage existing programs, resources, requirements so that you have a, a level playing field, as well as trying to have some harmonization of privacy and security rules, maybe across modalities, um, but rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and create something entirely new, I would suggest that you know we're first looking to what are the fraud, waste, and abuse standards in place for in-person healthcare today? How are claims you know monitored? How are bad actors identified, and what is the recourse? So. I think all of that needs to be taken into consideration when looking into that issue. Very good. So it's almost like I asked if we need to, if our infrastructure is strong enough and, and, and we don't have to build another infrastructure. Telehealth is not a different animal. It's just another uh, route to, to provide health care. And you use the same rules that you've used before. You just kind of think about them in the context that they're being used, right? Exactly. Okay. So, um, now, now, for the telehealth group, Nancy, um, how did the telehealth group start? Uh, it sounds like it was in place long before this pandemic. So before the rest of the country got excited about it, you had this work group in place. Is that right? Yes, um, it has been. Uh, we've been in um, a work group up and running uh, since 2015. And initially, when we got started, we had the name of Innovative Encounters. And, um, and the reason that term was being used is if you go back to the Weedy 2013 report, Innovative Encounters was one of the topics that was identified in the report as, uh, as a um, priority for going forward into the future. And so we mirrored initially that terminology from the report. And I think the reason that that term was used early on was just, it was still new. Um, you know, for some areas, telehealth had been in place for quite a while before 2013. But the, um, you know, we were still using telehealth, telemedicine, digital medicine. And, and although these terms are still out there and you'll hear them, for the most part now we've settled on telehealth as being the common term. So when you say telehealth, people know what you're talking about there. We had changed our name just to, you know, make it so that people, you know, recognized and understood um, very quickly who we are and and what we're working on. 
Um, so it was interesting, though. I went back to the Weedy 2013 report uh, in preparation for talking to you today, and um, I was curious to see what we had written about innovative encounters, telehealth at the time. And there were three points in the report that I uh, thought were really relevant still today, seven years later. Uh, one of those comments was how innovative encounters are powerful tools to engage patients. And so how much are we talking today about the need to, you know, put consumers, patients at the center of what we're doing and how can we better engage them? So I thought that was a relevant point. Um, another point was how the rapidly growing use of mobile smart technologies by consumers is pushing the demand for innovative encounters. Again, so relevant today. Um, you know, I, again, we were saying this seven years ago, and I think to some extent we're still trying to sort of get some of that traction underneath you know, really using those smart technologies um, by consumers. Uh, and then the last point that was made that I picked up on was the conversation you and Allison were just having. Regulation presents challenges to the adoption and use of innovative encounters. So clearly um, the pandemic has, you know, um, sh uh, shaken things up a little bit there in terms of regulations, but that's certainly a question or a um, you know, something that we're going to have to, as an industry, come back to and, and really resolve once we get uh, out from underneath the pandemic and really understand where we're going with telehealth. Uh, so that was some of the history of where we came from in terms of a work group. And um, again, early on when the work group got started, we were really focusing on papers that would lay that groundwork, get people to understand you know, what telehealth is and what can it do. Um, we had some papers early on, just, you know, primer on telehealth, um, uh, a paper that's somewhat more of an outline talking about the different modalities that are um, under the umbrella of telehealth. And um, we then um, put together a telehealth resource guide, which we do continue to update. And it's just a, a table, long table of um you know, links to other websites, organizations, things within the federal regulations, things at the state level, um, you know, different uh, associations and, and information they've put out on telehealth. So really trying to give people uh, a comprehensive uh, understanding of telehealth and um, being able to see various organizations that are involved in telehealth. Uh, so those um, papers are available uh, within the Weedy website, and um, we'll also uh, talk probably here in another minute about some of the more current work that we're doing. But um, the other activity that we've been doing really since the beginning uh, is uh, webinars. So I think Allison and I have really enjoyed being able to showcase some of the different activities that are going on, some programs using telehealth. And uh, those webinars are available in the Weedy On Demand section of the website. So you can, um, you know, if, if you're interested in seeing some of those webinars, uh, you can easily go out to the Weedy website and, and look for those. So um, at this point, uh, Allison, do you want to jump in and add some of your perspective on the telehealth work group? Sure. Well, I will just chime in on the um, 
item I am most excited about that we're working on currently, which is the uh, a follow-up to a 2018 work product we did. At the end of 2018, we surveyed Weedy membership and asked about telehealth utilization, and we surveyed providers, payers, and patients, and we got really interesting utilization data and feedback and created a report and did some webinars based on that. Well, we uh, revised that survey to do it again post-pandemic and sent that out over the summer, surveying the same, um, you know, surveying Weedy membership. It goes out to uh, asking providers, payers, and patients to respond on telehealth utilization to give us some insights into how that has changed uh, from a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, when we reached out um, for the initial survey. So our current work is uh, we have a survey analysis underway and look forward to uh, delivering some webinars on behalf of Weedy to communicate the results of what we saw in those telehealth utilization changes based on our survey uh, responses in this summer and at the end of 2018. That's uh, very interesting. I think it's great you're going to have a snapshot of, what was it, three or four years ago when you first it was did the that, survey? December 2018, so it's not too far off. Um, and when we did the initial survey, we had no clue a pandemic was coming, but what a great time to compare how those things have changed. And based on the initial survey results, um, definitely you know, seeing what we expected to see with respect to those changes, but it's also interesting to actually hear from people via the survey. So that sounds good. So if one of our listeners uh, wanted to get involved either uh, with the work group or with Weedy in general, or, or maybe if they want to uh, find out a little bit more about uh, what the telehealth group is doing, how, how might they go about that, Nancy? Oh, great question, Matthew. So um, first of all, there's information about our work group on the Weedy website within the Knowledge Center. You can just read about the work group and, and what we're working on currently. We do meet once a month on the third Wednesdays of every month. And you're, uh, if you're a Weedy member, you can sign up to join the work group. Um, actually, you can sign up to join any work group if you're a Weedy member. Uh, we would love to you know, have you participating. Uh, we always are happy to have more voices, more people involved in what we're looking at, what we're talking about. The... Um, I think you'll enjoy our calls too, because we usually cover hot topics as part of our agenda. So we usually are talking about some of the latest headlines that have to do with telehealth. So we, we try to make the calls part educational and then part work with um, whatever work product we're working on at the time. Right now we're working on a paper that is um, sort of more of an outline, but a framework around how to go about implementing a telehealth program. So that's what we're working on right now. Uh, and we would, again, love to have you uh, listening in or participating in any way uh, you would like. Uh, again, um, if you are interested in telehealth and, and some of the work coming out of our work group, the upcoming fall conference has a couple of opportunities for you to participate and hear more about us and our work. The telehealth work group is gonna be holding a working session on Monday the October 19th from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. And usually you have, as I said earlier, you have to be a work group member in order to attend mm -hmm. our work group calls. But mm -hmm. for this working session is open to all conference attendees. So if you're signed up for the conference, you can join our working session. And, and again, we would love to have you join. Um, and then on Thursday, October 22nd at 11.50 Eastern, Allison is going to be moderating a telehealth session that's going to be going into more depth and detail about the changing face of telehealth policy. 
So if you are interested in that session, uh, uh, you can go to the Weedy website to see the full conference agenda and information on how to register there. Sounds like the conference is a good place to have uh, uh, more discussions about telehealth. Any other uh, resources uh, that you think um, our listeners uh, can get a hold of to learn more about telehealth? One uh, great resource that I commonly refer to, and they will be having an updated state report out, um, I believe, at the end of October, is the Center for Connected Health Policy. And one of uh, their um, organization leaders will also be on the panel uh, that I am moderating at the Weedy Conference. But CCHP.org is an excellent resource for state uh, telehealth guidance and rules and is pretty current and up to date in my regulatory world. It's very helpful to have that resource with links and access to state regulations and laws for reference. So that's one of my favorites to go to. Good. Excellent. And I, I use that. I must go to CCHP once a week to see what's yeah. going on with telehealth and the So it's a well-worn uh, uh, tab on my, uh, on my browser. Um, and uh, well, and I I'll, would be... And I would be remiss if I didn't put in a plug for some of the work that the AMA has been doing around telehealth or digital medicine, as we call it. And um, on our AMA website, we have a page for our digital medicine payment advisory group, and they work on identifying needs for CPT codes to accurately convey the telehealth services. And they also work on um, identifying data to support the use of telehealth in clinical practice, providing clinical guidance on factors related to delivery of telehealth services, and in general, advocate for the widespread coverage of telehealth services. So um, that might be a resource people would be interested in if you're looking at some of that payment and, and coverage side of things. Very good. Great resources, uh, great discussion to get today, uh, Nancy and Allison. Thank you very much. And what a, a great look into the inner workings of the Weedy organization with the telehealth work group. So we've been talking with Nancy Spector, coding and HIT advocacy director at the American Medical Association, and Allison Armstrong, health policy director at Anthem. And this has been the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. Find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us, and be safe.